Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Back to The Baldface Truth with John Kanzano on 750 The Game. Our next guest uh, is a frequent, I'm going to call him the contributor on this show. Bill Riley, Salt Lake City, ESPN 700. Uh, this is a guy who for a couple of decades now has uh, been the, the longest tenured member of uh, not only the ESPN 700 family, but uh, University of Utah, the voice of athletics on their campus. And guess what? He was in the All-Star City. I have to know what that was like, Bill Riley. What was the run-up to the All-Star Game like in your in your town? It was uh, it was fun, John. I, I, I was out of town for part of it. I was with the Utes in Arizona, and, but I got back for Saturday night and then Sunday. And I'll say this: you know, this town's put on big events. We hosted the Olympics. It's kind of a big event. Uh, about 21 years ago, and it kind of reminded me of a smaller version of that. People coming in from all over the place pop-up stores all over town, bars, restaurants, everything, slam, jam, packed for four days. Um, you know, the Jazz did a really good job putting on the event. Um, it was well attended. Um, I don't know if the game was, but all the other events were. It was just it was just really cool to have it here. I mean, it, it was here 30 years ago when Larry Miller first built the Delta Center downtown, and it came back again. So it was, it was nice to have it here, and... Uh, but it's one of those events you don't want all the time. But it was cool to have it here, and even if even if the even if the product on the floor was garbage on Sunday night, everything else was really good. Yeah, because I, I mean the event has become less about the game and more just about the weekend. And you know, I have to think I was there maybe a week or ten days before the hoopla all started, and I could feel the city was kind of getting ready for it. You had heard about this, probably talked about for several months, and if not years as the planning went along, did, you know, did the, was it a proud moment for Salt Lake City? Like, did people go, hey, we're, we're hosting this game, and were they proud of their city? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, this city has grown up a lot, too, really, in the last, I mean, certainly since they hosted the game last. You've been coming here enough over the years to see how the downtown and the city and everything has grown. Uh, the demographics of the city has changed. We've had so many darn Californians move into this market because they wanted to get out of California, the Silicon Slopes, uh, down in down in Utah County. It, it's just, no, they were, I mean, you know, when Utah puts something on, they you know, it's not just Salt Lake. You know, th this state kind of puts it on and, and gets behind it, and the governor was part of it, and the, the jazz ownership and former players came back. So, no, it was it was a big deal and people enjoyed it and, and it was, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, your guy kind of, you know, our adopted son here in the state, Dame Lillard wins the three point shootout wearing his Weber state Jersey people in this state love him. I mean, I would tell you outside of probably Lowry Markin and nobody got a bigger ov ovation all weekend long than Dame. He is, he is beloved here in the state of Utah and, you know, he loves this state too. I mean, Portland's his home now he's from Oakland, but he still considers Utah a place that's uh very close to his heart. He comes back here in the summertime, does a lot here. The open mic incident with Shaq and 
some guys talking about, hey, there's not a lot to do, or I, I've been in my room, I've never ate so much room service. Like, I think Salt Lake City's got some good restaurants. Did the city take that personally? Oh, yeah. I mean, this this state always has a little bit of a chip on its shoulder. You know, the Mormon culture here takes shots from everybody around the world. But that's what I was saying, John. This You've been here enough. The, the demographics of this market have changed so much. And, I, you know, Charles and Shaq, I mean, I don't think they went to Capitol Grill. I don't think they went to Vaulters. I, I mean, they were probably in VIP rooms. There's <laughs> the, the restaurant scene in this city is, is you know, it's, it's a growing and vibrant scene, a lot like Portland's is. Portland's got a great drinking and eating scene, and Salt Lake's got so many distilleries and breweries all over the place in the restaurant scene. Yeah, people – I didn't take it personally, but, you know, people get a little upset about it. And, I, you know, my thought is Shaq Eternals probably never left the VIP area, so what are they talking about? Bill Riley, ESPN 700. The voice of Utah Athletics is is our guest. It's interesting, you know, you, are, you also call the MLS games – in Salt Lake City, and I noticed Don Garber, commissioner of MLS, he's talking about San Diego and Las Vegas for the expansion franchise that the MLS wants to uh, put next, and it got me thinking about Pac-12 expansion, uh, you know, and looking at Vegas and looking at San Diego as emerging markets. Like, how does that, is there a correlation between maybe what's right for MLS could be right for the Pac-12? Well, I'll say this about MLS because I've been around for 18 years. Uh, my, my biggest fear with MLS is they're they're kind of drunk on their on their rights fees. I mean, when Dave Checkett's brought Real Salt Lake here, he paid 10 million dollars. The rights fees for club, I don't know what 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 uh, what the Portland fee was years later, but it's it, it's up to almost 400 million dollars. They have a terrible TV deal still. Who knows if this Apple thing is going to work? The money that was kicked around on the Apple deal isn't accurate because the clubs in the league are still paying all the production costs. So it's not a $2.5 billion deal. It's under $2 billion when you factor in the fact that clubs and the the teams are are still paying for production. But anyway, back to your point, Um, I think they've expanded too fast. To get 30 clubs is probably too much. But to the Pac-12 point, I'll be honest, John, I – San Diego, to me, is a slam dunk. They've done it right athletically. They've got a good stadium at Southern California. I know that the league is looking at SMU. I know that. But to be honest, SMU's football is solid, and their basketball is average. And they're a non-player in the Metroplex. At least UNLV is in the regional footprint. It's in an emerging market. And it's, it's got some familiarity to the schools out west. I, I know that academically it may not check the boxes, but the more I've thought about it, the more I would be more on, on board with, with Las Vegas, I think, and UNLV joining the league than I would be for SMU, to be very fair, especially because Las Vegas has become kind of the de facto home of the conference for all its championships and big neutral site football games. It's interesting that, you know, we're talking San Diego State, and they've done some things, right? They've they have Snapdragon Stadium. They've done some things on their campus that have taken years and years and years to position them for this moment. It reminds me a little bit of what Utah did in front of their move to the Pac-12. You were there. What was that yeah. time like? What factors sort of fell into place? Well, I, I mean, football was good, and then of course, I think there was there were some thoughts percolating. But when Utah went undefeated in the 2008 season and then beat Alabama in the Sugar Bowl, 
what it showed was they had a top-notch football program. Basketball program's always been good. I know it's been down the last few years, but it's a top-15 winning program in the history of college basketball. So they had that. You had the city. The university's a research institution. And, and there were just a lot of things going for, you know, they, they, I don't know that they were necessarily positioning themselves for that move long term. I think it was just kind of the natural evolution of the university and the football program. But when that met the opportunity that the Pac-10 presented, when it looked to expand, when it when it whiffed on Texas and Oklahoma and the other schools, the, the, the bottom line is Chris Hill was the athletic director. The university was in a good place. The football program, more importantly, was on the rise. It just it showed they were in position to be able to make that jump and be able to make that move. The you know in and in Utah at that time, was there some doubt whether Utah could perform? You know and and look now we're looking at a program that you know not has back to back championships and is around the conference title game. It seems like every season. But was there some doubt at that time that Utah would be able to put it together? I think everybody knew that the blueprint was there. Kyle Whittingham and his staff, even going back to the Mountain West days, John, were really good at player development. I just think that everybody knew it wasn't going to happen overnight. I think they knew it would take two or three years. It would take some patience to do it. But I think they felt like they had the resources and the right guy in place, at least on the football and then on the basketball side. The Olympic sports were where they were worried a little bit more because, you know, the Pac-10, Pac-12 is so good in the Olympic sports. Well, those have come along as well. But I think between Chris Hill and Kyle Whittingham, they knew what it would take. They knew it wouldn't happen overnight, and there was patience there. And that patience paid off after about three and a half years. Utah was then competing on a pretty regular basis because they recruited well and developed talent well. We're talking to Bill Riley, ESPN 700, the voice of Utah Athletics. The Pac-12 you know, is trying to negotiate a media rights deal. They've got the presidents and athletic directors all sort of pointing to mid-March. And in the meantime, we've got all this national noise. And you and I have texted a little bit about this, Bill. But I've never been more disappointed, I think, in, in like the media at large just reporting stuff and throwing stuff out there, just getting clicks, not you know really reporting stuff that is advancing the story or telling readers what they need to know. It's been interesting the last couple of days. You know, Pete Thamel, who's a really good college football reporter, put the story out. But if you actually read the story, there was really nothing different than you've been reporting. I've been talking about things of that, and they, John Wilner, too, for the last couple of weeks. And then Andrew Marchand, who's a really good media reporter back east in New York. I don't know what his connections are out west. And he lobs the Apple thing out there, and it looks good in a headline. And then you read a little further. And he was just speculating. He didn't have a source that was telling him Apple would be part of it. He was just trying to connect some dots. So the, so the stance I've taken is I'm not going to throw dirt on anything yet until I see what the deal is. And I think that's kind of the stance the Pac-12 schools have taken, too. Let's see what the deal is that George Klyovkov brings back. They're talking about this, well, you know, they may have to piece it together. Well, isn't that what we've been talking about for, for almost a year, John? Nobody thought that anybody was going to come in and write one really big check. We've been talking about ESPN and a streaming partner and maybe somebody else. I think we've always known it was going to be a piece-together deal, but that doesn't really matter at the end of the day as long as you get the number that you need, right? Yeah, I think you know people are going to look at that bottom line. And I, and I, I don't think the outside non-Pac-12 
media, non-Pac-12 fans understand, quite understand the frustration that the fans inside the footprint had with, with the Pac-12 networks and the lack of distribution. And it's why when Amazon comes up as a streaming partner or Apple comes up as it did yesterday, there's all this uproar nationally, but I think a lot of us are looking at it going, hey, maybe I know how to get those things. I don't know how to find the Pac-12 network when I'm on the road and I'm in a hotel and I can't get it. That's the biggest issue we've had for years. And really, it's an issue that's plagued Utah fans going back to the days of the Mountain, John. I mean, the Mountain was a disaster as well. When the Mountain West Conference tried to start its own network, you couldn't get that anywhere either. So people around here in these parts, all they care is, can I get it? Where can I get it? If it's on a device, great. If it's on ESPN, great. I just need to know where to get it. I don't want to have to change my subscriber that I like. But tell me where I could pay a little bit more, and I'm more than willing to pay to get it. That's really what people want as much as anything else. I think you and I have talked about this, too. I don't think anybody's quite ready for a primary, you know, the, the first-tier streaming, because I think the problem with that ends up being you lose the promotional vantage point that you get from partnering up with an ESPN. But I think everybody would be more than willing and probably be happy if the second-tier partner was an Amazon or an Apple. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, completely. And and I think right now what the conference needs is it needs a shot in the arm. It needs a pat on the back. It needs to, you know, get some good news. Uh, do you think the conference has been foolish or maybe flawed in their strategy, Bill, in being so quiet between July and now? I think George Klyovkov, I mean, I, I understand why he's doing it. But I, I think a little bit more communication, just saying, hey, here's where we are. You know, we're taking our time. We're not bidding against anybody. I, I think a little bit more communication would have been helpful because we've, we've heard these artificial deadlines. Oh, we're going to hear something in November. Ah, no, it's probably going to be more like after the Pac-12 championship game or around there. Mm, wait a minute. The UCLA's folks are beat with the Board of Regents. Might be after that, but before the new year. Mm, sometime in mid-January probably in February. Well, now we're almost in March and we still haven't heard anything. So, you know, we, we've heard these kind of sort of deadlines that nobody's really said, but people have said, you and I have talked to people that have both told us that. I think it would have been great if the conference just came out and said, hey, here's what we're doing. We're still talking. We're looking at doing some things. Nothing's definitive, but we're making some progress. Doesn't have to be anything specific, but, you know, it also, you know, we've heard these artificial deadlines, and I think it's raised people's expectations. And because none of those deadlines, at least to this point in time, have been met, I think that's where the fear factor comes in. Bill Riley, ESPN 700 in Salt Lake City. Bill, I'll let you go soon. I want to talk a little bit of basketball. We've got sort of the uh, final stretch here for the men's teams. Uh, Utah in the hunt for one of the top four seeds in the men's uh, standings, if they can be in the four seed. They will get a bye in the opening round of the tournament in Vegas, so it's very important to be a top four. Um, you, what has Utah done well? How do you feel about them right now? You know, Are they playing their best basketball? How healthy are they? All that. Well, they're not healthy. They're two of their top three players are out with ankle injuries. They're not playing good basketball. They got swept by the Arizona schools. And uh, are, could they still? Yeah, but they've got USC and UCLA this week two teams that are probably tournament teams right now, UCLA tomorrow night, USC on Saturday. They close with Colorado, so they've got three tier one games still, but they're beat up right now, John. So they're certainly better than where they were a year ago. Um, they're going to outperform their preseason expectation, which was 10th. 
Um, but they're hurt right now, and it's two of, two of their top three players in Madsen and Wooster who are not playing right now. So that, that's problematic for Craig Smith's team. Um, I think if those guys can get healthy by the Colorado game, which is the final game of the regular season and in the tournament, Utah could make a little noise down there. But if I were a betting man right now, I'd probably see NIT is probably where they're heading, which, again, is not a bad place to be. Some of the NIT bracketologists, there are such things. It's said probably a top-four seed in the NIT, which is not a bad thing, and, and see where it goes. But I think the injuries have hurt them now over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, Bill Riley, ESPN 700. Hey, I appreciate you. I'll be in Vegas to see the basketball play out. But uh, it's been good uh, talking with you today and, of course, throughout the season, Bill, and we'll catch up with you down the road. I appreciate you giving us your time. Hey, thanks, John. I'll see you in Vegas. There he is, Bill Riley, ESPN 700. It's going to be a race for that four spot in the men's Pac-12 tournament standings. Currently, UCLA and Arizona are locked into the one and the two spot. USC sitting in the three spot with an 11-5 and five record. Now, a game and a half back is Arizona State, but Arizona State plays at Arizona, then has to play both USC and UCLA. All three games for Arizona State against teams in front of them in the standings. They're sitting at 10-7. and seven. Utah's also at 10-7. and seven. You just heard Bill Riley talk about the injuries. And Utah also has to play USC, UCLA, and Colorado. Those are tough games for a team especially that's beat up. One game back at 9-8. and eight. Don't write them off just yet. The Oregon Ducks and Dana Altman, a team that at, a, at multiple junctures of the season, I've looked at and gone, they're ready to take a step forward. And just when I believe that, they get kicked in the teeth and they lose or they lay an egg and don't play a good game. But look at Oregon's schedule. Now, they're a game back of that four spot. Here's their final three games. At Oregon State on Saturday. Then at home against Cal, 3-24 and Cal, enduring the worst basketball season in Cal basketball history. And then Stanford in the season finale. They've got the three teams at the bottom of the standings. I kind of suspect, I'm going to call it here, Stephen, Oregon's going to finish fourth in the Pac-12 standings and get a first-round bye in the Pac-12 men's tournament. Yeah, I don't, I don't hate that take. Uh, it does seem like they're going to go 3-0. and I know they've been struggling a little bit lately, uh, losing both Washington schools, but uh, you know, Cal and Oregon State, they're on a different level than Washington and Washington State. I think those teams are a little bit better than those uh, than those bottom two teams. So, yeah, I think Oregon ends up 12-8, and eight, and then it all kind of depends on tiebreakers and stuff. But I, I think you're right. I think Oregon's going to sneak in and get that four seed and if you're UCLA, I mean, I don't think you want to face Oregon. Like, Oregon's one of those teams where they can beat anybody on any given night. Like, that's how talented they are and how good of coach or how well coached they are with Dana Altman. I think they're a very dangerous team in that Pac-12 tournament. And depending on the draw, I mean, they got a shot. They have bad competition in the last three games. And I kind of think Arizona State could go 1-2, and two, could go 0-3. Oh Utah could go 1-2, and two, could go 0-3. Oh I don't see either one of those programs winning more than two games. The Ducks go 3-0, and and they're the four seed. But they've got to beat their rival. Then they have to beat a Cal team that has been terrible this year and beat a Stanford team that can shoot it a little bit. Stanford's bad, bad record, but they can shoot it. So that's the one that is a little bit dicey. Rivalry game and then the Stanford game for Dana Altman. And I'm afraid to believe because every time I look at Oregon and go, okay, they're healthier now, 
They they they're playing better basketball. What do they do? They lose back-to-back games to Washington, Washington State. Put themselves in a terrible predicament. Leave it here. You got the BFT. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.